Well, uh, we've been thinking about our theme, Standing Together. And uh, we've been doing a, kind of a wide sweep on the theme and starting, first of all, uh, about general relationships. And then a few weeks back, we talked about marriage. And, and now we're on to the family. And last Sunday was Father's Day, so we underscored the importance of dad in the context of supporting and blessing the family. I grew up in a family of four. My mother, my father, and my brother, and myself. Our oldest brother, Dennis, died when he was a baby. Uh, he developed spinal meningitis and died. I didn't know I had a brother until I was a teenager, really. My mom and dad didn't talk about it. I didn't know if it was a sensitive topic or not. And I didn't know uh, if they were still grieving about this. But they never told us. And so I was a little bit taken back when I discovered that I had a brother and I was already 16 years of age. Uh, I grew up in a family with a very strong work ethic. My mom was very even emotionally. Uh, she was very kind and gracious and very practical, very task-oriented. Uh, I ha hardly ever saw her down emotionally. I never really saw her up emotionally. She was just steady all the time, every year, for every year of her life. And my dad was a hard worker. He was a joker. He loved people. Uh, and in the closing years of his life, he had quite a spiritual transformation. He became well-known after God touched his life. Uh, he became well-known for getting in his pickup truck on the farm and visiting all the neighbors and telling them about Christ in a very sensitive way. Since Dad was well-respected in the community, he had earned the right to speak uh, the message of, of God's love. Dad had a grade four education, and he didn't feel comfortable to pray publicly until the later years of his life. And then it was like a major explosion. And uh, Dad went to the pastor's house, uh, was, which was very close to our home, uh, once a week, early in the morning, and there he got comfortable learning to pray out loud. And when you listen to him pray, it brought tears to your eyes because it was so deep felt and earnest. And I was so proud on one occasion when I got to come back to our home church, I was so proud to hear him praying at the front of the church at a communion service. That was my dad who used to sit at the back of the church and I was just amazed that my dad was up front praying publicly. That's my family. My brother walked away from the church when he was 16. Got pulled in by the wrong crowd. Got pulled away. My brother and I were never very close. Uh, I tell him that, uh, that he's the reason that I had to get some of my teeth replaced. And it's true. Uh, but the other part was that I ate too much candy as well. So that's true too. He left the church at 16. He came back 24 years later. And God had touched him.
God had really touched him. A few years later, he sold the farm. He went to seminary down the road here, and he spent a few years in the pastoral ministry. Quite a journey. Crazy family, eh? And that's our family. And that's God at work in our family. You know, God sure knew what he was doing when he gave us this precious little community called the family. To learn so much in your family. You don't realize how you are shaped and formed in your family. These little ones in your home are wet cement. And uh, we are forming them uh, every day. We don't, really, we don't really think about what we're learning every day as kids. But we're all just like sponges. We take it in, we take it in, we take it in every day and every day and we integrate and then we leave home and man, we have been shaped for the future. Yes, it's called the family. The family is where you put down your first roots, where you form your most lasting impressions. Think about what happened in your family. It's where you put together the building blocks of your character. Some of the key building blocks of integrity and authenticity were formed in your family. Family is where you learn to laugh and where you were allowed to weep without losing any respect. Family is where you learn to share and learn how to relate to and treat other people. Family is where you learn to form a sense of self-awareness so that you interpret life more accurately. It's where you discover how to draw the line between uh, good and evil, between right and wrong. And when you lack the family growing up experience, you lose some of that perception of what is appropriate, of what is right, of what is wrong. And the boundaries get fuzzy and they're not as clear as you want them to be. So a healthy family is so important in helping you with your compass in life. Now there's a passage in the Old Testament that I will simply use as a foundational stone for what I want to share with you this morning. We can stand on this stone. I want you to understand that I'm simply using it as a, as a launching pad. I don't always like to do it this way, but this is the way it fits best today. The six comments that I want to make don't necessarily come directly from the passage, but the passage represents the importance of connecting well as a family. And I'm sure it's a very familiar passage to you, and here it is from Deuteronomy 6, 4-9. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The writer, Moses, is telling us of the importance of living in the family. Here's the experience uh, of being a community. Here are the opportunities for parents to invest in your children. So friends, what makes for a healthy family? 
And how might you define a healthy family? A lot of people have written on that through the years. Uh, there is no shortage of information. Uh, let me give you six marks of a healthy family. I think I could give you 60, but you wouldn't want to hear them all. Let me give you six. And you can look at these traits and you can uh, give your family a score from zero to ten. Zero being very unhealthy and ten being very healthy. Number one is highly valued. Highly valued. There are different ways to say that. Treasured. You feel treasured in your family. You feel honored in your family. You feel loved in your family. Everyone in the family, everyone in the family feels highly valued. That's an important mark of a healthy family. In a healthy family, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your age or your gender or your competencies or your attractiveness or your performance. All of these are non-factors. You are loved in your home just because you are. That's the mark of a healthy family. All you have to do is show up. Isn't that great? All you have to do is show up and you pass the test. And you pass the test with flying colors. You don't have to earn anything. You don't have to smile the right way. Just because you are who you are and you're in your family, you are highly valued. I love the way a psychiatrist dubbed this trait. He called it irrational love. Irrational love. I love that. We've had a ton of new babies enter into our church community once again. And I love that these new parents are just enthralled with their newborns. And when you think of it, it's really irrational. They see this red wrinkled body in the hospital and they say in their hearts, I'm going to pour more love into this little tyke than their heart will be able to take. I'm going to love them to pieces. And man, they hold that little boy or girl and they look into their eyes and they talk to them and they post pictures on Facebook and they're just crazy about that little newborn. And you know that they honestly believe that there has never been a better little specimen to represent humanity than their child. And this is the greatest little homo sapien to enter into life as we know it on planet Earth. And it's theirs. That's irrational love. And that love continues through the years. So that when the kids move out and attend college or university or get a job miles away, I, I met a couple of guys yesterday from Prince Edward Island. They're miles away from their family. It's so good to have them here at, at TCC. And you think back about your home and you remember how loved you were in your family. And you remember the loving words and the loving conversations and the loving hugs and, and there were these loving boundaries and loving discipline and there was support for the piano lessons and soccer games and baseball games and, and hockey practices and birthday parties and from miles away the self-esteem rises in his or her heart for the precious gift that they've been given of their family. Their thankfulness to God increases as the years go by, as they realize what a gift, what a gift they've been given. And they look around and they see that not all their friends feel the same way because they weren't blessed with a family like yours. 
Irrational love. I see it with these young dads and moms having a great time working, uh, playing with their kids and laughing with them. It's wonderful to watch that kind of camaraderie and fun in the family. I look back to the fun times that we had uh, in our home after supper playing lion. And I was the lion. And I got to chase the girls. Simple game. And they screamed. And they did everything they could, include running to their mom to be safe because the lion was coming. And if they got to a home base and just touched the home base, they were safe. The lion could not violate the code of ethics. He must stop. And he couldn't touch them. Spent some great time having fun together. Some of you came out of families where you were not irrationally loved. I came out of a good family. But I wouldn't rate the irrational loving part high. I didn't hear my parents say they loved me. But I never questioned that they did. After all, my dad paid for my college. My dad said, when you come home and your gas tank is empty, drive over to the fuel tank. Put the nozzle in, fill it out. Oh, no, no, I could drive it over. And I did. I never re remember physical affection from them. Hugs and kisses just didn't happen in our family. And I had to learn a lot about giving hugs to our daughters. I wasn't used to doing that because we didn't do that. But just because I didn't experience that warmth in my family is no excuse to hold back. We can all get there, folks. There is no excuse for not passing on to your kids an irrational love that is physically and verbally expressed. So let me ask you, how would you score your family on irrational love? Is everyone highly valued? Secondly, meaningful communication. The second mark is of a healthy family is that there is strong communication. Good communication obviously begins with mom and dad. And it's picked up by the kids. Those kids are always listening in on us, aren't they? They pick up on what we say. They catch on. They understand tone. And they get nonverbal. We lay a great foundation when mom and dad can talk to one another in a loving way. In a grace-filled way. If mom and dad can figure out how to communicate effectively, if they can listen to one another and work out a solution so that in a conflict, one partner doesn't lose and the other partner wins, that it always is a win-win situation, that everybody wins all the time. What a head start our kids would see if, if they saw mom and dad talking through the issues making good decisions together, not slamming doors and shouting and sulking and sobbing. There is something that is caught in the home. I remember being asked to teach a class at Taylor, formerly called North American Baptist College, years ago. And I'd never done this before, and I felt very intimidated to teach a class because there were 80 students in that class. And uh, uh, I was very nervous to say yes to this, and I had to make a decision. So I asked a wise friend what I should do. 
And he encouraged me to do it because he said, many of the students, many of the things that your students will learn will be caught from you rather than taught. I'd never thought about that. And so I gave it some thought and I agreed to teach the class feeling that maybe something of what God is teaching me would benefit others as they grow in the kingdom. And you know, that happens in the family. There are times when you sit down intentionally to teach, but most often it is caught. And that's especially true of communication. How you communicate with your spouse gets caught by the kids and they learn to communicate that way. If you get angry and shout out harsh words, it won't be long before you see the approach used by your children. They will get angry. They will get stirred up. They will speak out harsh words. If you speak softly and lovingly, it won't be long before your kids speak softly and lovingly. As you know, we're looking for a part-time pastor. I'll put a little plug in here. If you know of somebody that might be a good fit here, uh, we, really, we really want to have a man or a woman in this role that will just bless the socks off our kids and pray for them and invest in them. So please let us know if you've got, got some leads. But do you know why youth pastors are so effective? They listen to our kids. They listen to our kids. Uh, some young people can't talk to their parents. They don't feel heard. The parents say, or the students say, I, I tried talking to my dad, but he travels a lot, and when he's home, he's exhausted, and he reads the paper, and he drinks his beer, and he goes to bed. He doesn't want to listen to me. I try to talk to my mom, but she works. And we've got a couple of other kids in, in the family, and we've got some issues in the family, and she's exhausted, and she doesn't want to listen. I can't talk to her. And that is so sad. And sometimes that's the ministry of a youth pastor, is to, is to listen. Meaningful communication is the mark of a healthy family. If one of my kids calls me, everything stops. We take a call. 24-7, anytime, if it's our family, as it should be. We try to protect the supper time for our family. That was, the one, that was the one meal that was critical for all of us to be home, all of us to be together, all of us to talk to one another. And every supper, we all got a turn saying, what was the best part of your day? Or what was the worst part of your day? How did your day go? And we got a chance to listen to one another and share our hearts. When do you have time to actually talk with your children? Maybe it's bedtime. <laughs> Maybe it's in the car when you're being a taxi. How do you like being a taxi driver these days? It's amazing. Do you have a sense that communication is strong in your family? How would you rank that? Thirdly, a spiritual commitment. And not in prioritized order. None of these are in prioritized order. But... but Spiritual commitment or common faith. Families that are on the same spiritual page are families that are building upon a strong foundation. 
The admonition from Deuteronomy 6 is to spend time with our children, informing them of who God is. And here's what Moses said. These commandments that I give you are to be carried in your hearts, and, and they are to be impressed upon your children, upon your children's hearts. So talk about the things that God's doing in your life. Talk about the things that God's doing in your life when you're sitting at home and when you're walking down the road and, and there at the bedside. Talk about that first thing in the morning. When my father was dying, um, he had our girls, who were then very young, three of them. They were ages, if I recall correctly, four, six, and eight. And he talked to them about a common faith. And he was thinking ahead for them to the partner that they would marry. <laughs> and he, he was urging them to marry a man who loved the Lord and followed the Lord. He was talking about a common faith. And he had those girls sit up in his bed and he was so weak, he managed with all his strength to sit up from his hospital bed. And it was like Jacob of old. He gave those girls his blessing. And he spoke to them way beyond their years, telling them the things that were on his heart. It's a wonderful thing when the family is linked by a common commitment to Jesus Christ. What momentum for the family when they could talk about their faith, when they can ask the tough questions and not worry about, oh, no, no, I, I can't ask that question. What an incredible blessing when you can pray together and to say, I don't know what, what, why this is happening. I don't know. I don't get it either. I honestly don't get it. But we know who God is. We know He's faithful. We know who He is. And we know He loves us. And we know He walks with us. So let's just trust Him like we've done in the past. Let's just trust Him for what He wants to do. I mean, what cements a family together better than when you pray together. Mom and Dad, I don't want to go to school today because, because they're mean. Well, we pray together. And we ask God for the courage to go to school and to deal with the road that's in front of us. What if we resolve to pray faithfully for God to fill our family members with His love? When they stand at the graveside one day and mom is in the grave, they'll say, mom was a woman of prayer. Dad was a man of prayer. I know she prayed for me. I know she prayed for the love of God to grow in my heart. Young, young moms and dads, let me encourage you again this morning in your journey with your children. Please, Pay close attention to your own spiritual journey. Because if you are careless today with your journey, you can multiply that five times for your children. If you are careless, if you don't see the vitality, of the importance of the vitality of Jesus in your life today, and your children witness that, they will move even further from the reality of life with Jesus. Read the Old Testament. 
and see how that was true from one generation to the next. The best thing you can do for your child today, honestly, is to walk humbly and faithfully with the Lord your God. And if you'll do that as a mom and dad in your family, you watch your children come along and they will get it. And they will get the reality of Jesus living in them if they see it in you. What if we set our eyes afresh on helping our kids understand something about the spiritual battle that exists in our world? What's well, a battle? We don't understand the, the spiritual battle that takes place. And progressively as our children get older, get older we can share with them a little bit more of, of the battle that there is in the heavenlies. What if we found a place to pray together, read our Bibles together? Anne was up here this morning and I, 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 I looked at the little sheet that comes home from this new curriculum that we've adopted. It's called 252. It's the orange theme. And the questions that are, are there intended for children and their parents. Parents, just grab hold of that sheet. See what your kids are learning and do some of these activities with them and it will bless your hearts. An important mark of a healthy family is sharing a common faith. Are you on the same spiritual page in your family? And then fourthly, affirming our uniqueness. There's a wonderful verse in Psalm 139 verse 14 that expresses the uniqueness of who God made us to be. The psalmist says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. We're all uniquely created. And when you look at your own family, can you spot the uniqueness of each family member? Isn't it neat? And maybe God has fun with this, the way he puts us all together as members of the family. And sometimes within the same family, there are polar opposite personalities and temperaments. It's like, how did we get so different? God treasures that uniqueness because he made us that way. Have you ever said, oh, I wish I was like somebody else. I wish I had their gifts. I wish I was like them. No, no. God made you uniquely. I often have thought in my life, oh, I wish I could do some of these things better. I wish I was more gifted in some of these areas. But then the other part of me says, but no, I might have been distracted from what God wanted for my life. He wanted, he wanted this for my life. So I would focus on the things that he wants me to focus on. And it's different for everyone. As parents, we celebrate the uniqueness of our children. I know parents who have tried to direct their children into certain vocations because the parents had a plan for their lives. It's hard to struggle against a dad who says, I want you to be a lawyer. I want you to follow in the family tradition. You need to be a doctor. But underneath you say, I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be a lawyer. Lawyer. I want to be a musician. I want to be an artist or whatever. One author suggests that the family is kind of a training camp where we learn to accept and appreciate and celebrate the uniqueness of everyone in the family so that we can more readily accept the variety of people that exist in the world. 
I love that. We just got a little training camp going on in our family. And you begin to appreciate the uniqueness of how God has made every family member. And then you begin to appreciate globally how God has made us all. And around the world there is such a diversity of gifting and strengths and uniqueness. In healthy families, the goal is not to try to put our kids on the photocopier with us and make a duplicate image of who we are. Because that may not be who God wants them to be. Just pray for your kids that they might enjoy the, create, the unique creation that God has made them to be. And affirm that uniqueness and shower them with affirmation and bless them as they travel along. So how are you doing in your family affirming the uniqueness of each family member? And then number five is developing a healthy respect for people in our world. Developing a healthy respect for people in our world. I will never forget my embarrassment as I look back on my behavior and the behavior of my classmates in a little one-room schoolhouse growing up years ago. We had maybe 30 students in this one-room schoolhouse all the way from grade one to grade eight. And in the middle of the year, we got another student. And he had just arrived from Germany. And he was living with a German family. I think it was probably his aunt and uncle. And he was starting a new life in Canada. And these were the years when we still remembered the war. And we were filled with disrespect. And I was in grade four, and I remember the whole school giving this, little, this new little boy such a hard time at school. He never had a chance. Today, we would be very clear, that was bullying. We were mean. He didn't speak English very well. And we were cruel to him. We were absolutely cruel, pushing him in a corner, not allowing him to join in the games at recess. And I felt sick in my heart even then. And now I look back with such a sickness that we could have been that ruthless. He soon dropped out of school because he couldn't take it. We learn respect in our homes. We learn that we never treat anyone like that. Racism and disrespect is a learned behavior. We often learn it in our homes. And then it gets reinforced outside the home. But usually it starts in our home. There's permission. We respect everyone. Mom and dad, don't ever tell a racist joke. Never. If you make fun of someone's ethnicity, you, in fact, give your children permission to do the same. It's not just that we're being politically correct by not saying anything negative. It's, in fact, the reality that God has made us all to be part of his human family. And we are all on the same level. And every person matters to God. You never have looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God. It does not matter what skin color accent, ethnicity. It doesn't matter if they face challenges in their life, physical challenges or mental challenges or emotion challenges. Every person matters equally to God. It doesn't matter if they're on a different financial scale than you are 
up or down. No one is better than the other. Everyone deserves high regard. And might I add, even in politics, Christians need to be so careful how they speak about political parties. We just can't rattle off words of scorn and hatred and display our disrespect towards politicians. We're right to have our opinions. We're right to have our values. But to say awful things about a leader is not fair play. We are also respectful of people of other religions. We don't necessarily agree, but we respect others. And it all starts within a family that is respectful. Also, we respect one another within the family. Healthy families commit that we're never going to intimidate one another. And when we're feeling desperate, it's easy to resort to measures that smack of power. Maybe because we're bigger than our kids today. We can intimidate them or we can shame our children. But that leaves such scars that we must commit to never taking that route. And protection from abuse. Mom and dad, you carry this responsibility to protect from abuse in any form in your family. You carry that. These are the marks of a healthy family. There is a freedom and there is a strong sense of protection and respect for one another. And then finally, time together including fun. There's no substitute for time together. It's a great way to build the family relationship. The family that plays together stays together. It was the highlight of when my dad would grab the baseball bat and he would hit grounders and flies out to us. We'd go out into the pasture and for the next hour we felt pretty close as a family when we would do that. And all those times when they took us to the ball games and our hockey games, we had fun together. And in years gone by, uh, our family, Margaret and our girls, would spend our vacation Uh, in a little travel trailer, quite often out to beautiful Radium or Fairmont. And a whole week in a little trailer, or two weeks, is great fun just hanging out together. And we all know that some of the greatest memories for our families is just made simply hanging out, doing things together as a family. Doesn't matter what it is, really, just being together as a family. So these are some of the marks of a, of a healthy family. You could certainly add to the list and you'd be right in doing so. But uh, these give us a good start in building a healthy family. How's your family doing? How's your family doing these days? May you continue to grow and strengthen one another in your family as you seek to honor one another.